Well, a secular academic was once asked, would you please read the Bible, and then once you've read the Bible, would you summarize it into a single sentence so that those who don't have the time or don't have the inclination or can't be bothered to read the Bible can understand the big theme of Scripture. Now, this is what he came up with. I suspect he plagiarized this from another source. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's the message of Scripture. Now, if you were with us uh, last weekend, we were thinking about generously expressing love through hospitality. And you would have heard me say this, deep, big-hearted love is not something that we can fake. Love cannot remain inwardly theoretical and abstract. It has to find outward expression uh, in tangible ways so that it can be understood and experienced. Well, today, as we begin our journey this week towards the events of Easter next weekend, next weekend, our focus is going to be very much focused upon the way that God has most tangibly expressed his lavish, big-hearted love towards you and I. And he's expressed that love in such a way that it goes way beyond the abstract and the theoretical. He's demonstrated it even to death on the cross. Our scripture reading this morning comes from uh, John chapter 12, if you want to start thinking of it and finding it. And it immediately follows after the events that Julie read to us, those events of that first Palm Sunday uh, that Julie read at the beginning of the service. And as we join the story, we find Jesus, he's five days before the Passover, and Jesus begins to predict his death. Now, the reason why he's starting to talk about his death is because some Greeks, some non-Jews, had come along and they'd said to the disciples, hey, we'd love to have an audience with Jesus. Let's join the story from verse 19. It says this, so the Pharisees said to one another, see, all this is getting us absolutely nowhere. Look how the whole world is going after him. Now, there were some Greeks among those who went up to worship at the festival. They came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, with a request. Sir, they said, we'd love to see Jesus. Philip went to tell Andrew, and Andrew and Philip, in turn, told Jesus. Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Now my soul is troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name. And and then a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said an angel had spoken to him. Jesus said, this voice was for your benefit, not for mine. Now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world, Satan, will be driven out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw people to myself. He said this to show the people the kind of death that he was going to die. So here in this moment, Jesus has his sight set on the cross, which is just days away. Now, not only does Jesus announce that it was time for him to die, but also in our text, he explains the meaning of his death. And he reveals at least two things for us. Firstly, that by dying, Jesus would reveal the operating system of the universe. I'll explain what I mean by that in a moment. But secondly, and maybe thirdly, depending on how you break it up, by dying, Jesus was also saying, I'm going to glorify God and I'm going to defeat Satan. 
Well, a few weeks back, I showed my eight-year-old girls one of these that you can see up on the screen. And they had absolutely no idea uh, what it was. Brilliant, isn't it? You can give them an iPad or you can give them a laptop, you can give them an iPhone, and with a moment, within a moment of being given it, they know how to operate it. Give them an ancient device like a Sony Walkman, and uh, they are absolutely clueless. But it left me wondering, why? Why is that? Because devices like iPads are built on an operating system that they understand. An ancient device, like a Walkman. Anyone still got one of these, by the way? If you have, sell it. Give the money to the Build Project. Thanks very much. <laughs> give them an ancient device, and they don't understand its operating system and were bamboo bamboozled. And I want to suggest it's the same with the world that we live in. To live, and I mean to really live, life in all of its fullness, that kind of life that Jesus spoke of, you have to understand the operating system of the universe. You have to understand the world the way that God wired it to be. If you don't, you will never experience life in all of its fullness as Jesus described. The trouble is, of course, we've made something of a muddle of our world, haven't we? To the point that it's not always clear what the operating system of God for the universe is. And so sometimes we have to have it explained to us. We have to have it revealed to us. And in a sense, that's what Jesus is all about in our text today. Now, the majority of us living in the world today live as if God is a God who's distant and who's far off. He's detached, he's remote, he's aloof, he's inaccessible. So then we conclude, well, if God is far off, then the only person we can really rely upon is ourselves. And so self-sufficiency ends up becoming king rather than Jesus. And as a consequence of all of that, accumulation, consumerism becomes our preferred path to fulfillment. The way to experience the good life is to buy my way to happiness. That's the world many of us have subscribed to. In our so-called developed world, we wittingly or unwittingly have subscribed to the idea that we can buy our happiness. The trouble is, that promise never ever delivers. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in that place. I know I have, and I know I sometimes do find myself in that place. Buying the next trinket, believing it's going to make my life feel fulfilled. Well, earlier this week, I had to take a train ride, which is always a, a great opportunity for a church minister for two things. The first is to get some sermon preparation done. This sermon is sponsored by Southwest Trains. <laughs> but the second is to do a little bit of people watching. I don't know about you when I go on a, a train. I'm really nosy. I wonder if you're like that. I, I, in a short space of time, learned an awful lot about the priorities of the people who were on the train by nosing at what they were doing on their laptops. I know it's really bad. <laughs> don't pretend you've never done it. So by being really nosy, I learned a lot about what it looks like to support ballet dancers in the world of ballet. It was intriguing. I learned about the economic indicators and forecasts of the insurance world. I can't tell you how boring that was. <laughs> I learned, too, by nosing at somebody else's laptop, all about the management of organic soil in farming. I've got to say, her world looked the most interesting. The worlds that people exist within are intriguing, and oftentimes they exclude the operating system that Jesus is describing in our text today. Now, of course, if I was busy doing that to other people on the train, you can guarantee they were doing it to me. So I wonder what they made of the idea that God most tangibly showed his love for us by sending his son Jesus to uh, the cross. No one said anything. I wonder why. You see, in saying all that he's saying in John chapter 12, 
Jesus is revealing to his hearers that the cross shows us the operating system for the world. Whatever it might be that we're involved in, the cross has something to say to us. God's message is this, the cross and self-sacrifice should underpin everything else that we are about. Listen again to those words from verse 24. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and it dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it provides or produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also must be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. You see, according to Jesus in our text here, and more widely we discover this in the Gospels, this is how the world really operates. We have a God who is not distant. We have a God who is close. We have a God who wants to be involved in our very lives. We have a God who, because of our relationship with Jesus and the example of Jesus, wants us to surrender control of our lives over to him. We have a God who reveals that the path to fulfillment isn't consumption and uh, accumulation of worldly things after all, but fulfillment is found in self-giving love. Fulfillment is found in self-giving love, most clearly seen in Jesus, who offered up his life in love and in service, not of himself, not of himself, but of others. And then Jesus uses this fantastic illustration from agriculture or from farming. He, he talks about a germinating seed. I imagine the lady on the train who was working on the organic soil stuff loved this when she read it on my screen. Jesus uses an, an, an example from farming. And Jesus says the purpose of a grain of wheat is that it dies. And then it germinates and only then can it produce a great crop. As Jesus is speaking about the importance of dying in agriculture or farming, he's making the point, too, that all of that is also true in the physical world. That what's true, sorry, in the physical world is also true in the spiritual world. He's saying, look, whether you're talking about fermentation or plants or matters of your eternal future, there's a whole lot of life that can come through death. There's a whole lot of life that can come through death. And Jesus is saying to his disciples here, look, the whole purpose of his life was to fall to the ground and to die, like a rose trampled on the ground, to lay down his life so that other people could live. At the heart of the universe, God is saying to us, there is a God, there is a Savior who's willing to lay down his life for us. That's a shocking love, isn't it? When Jesus died for us, he reveals that self-giving love lies in the very heart of the universe. What a, what a love that's shocking. At the heart of the universe is a saviour who willingly goes to the cross for you and for me. That's absolutely shocking. On the cross, Jesus wins through losing. He triumphs through defeat. He achieves power through weakness and service. And he comes to true wealth by giving everything, and I mean everything, away. So firstly, the cross shows us that self-giving love for you and for me is at the very heart. It's in the very DNA of our God. And as a point of application, Jesus calls those who would choose to follow him to live in the way that reflects the DNA of God. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My Father will honor the one who serves me. Our Heavenly Father always honors the one who serves him. 
So what we learn from Jesus is that dying is a daily requirement for our spiritual vitality. The way to be really rich in this life is to be really generous. The way to real power is through service. The way to real influence is through surrender. In the economy of Jesus, the way up is actually the way down. And didn't Jesus model that in his own life? In Jesus, we discover how to experience life in all of its fullness. And the world of Jesus really is quite topsy-turvy from the world that we live in. Well, if you're a fan of movies, you'll know that most movies have a really great and a classic plot line, which makes them enduringly compelling. It's the reason why we keep going back to the classic movies. And often that plot line, think about your favorite film now, is about a person paying a price for the sake of another person. We love that kind of a story, and we find it compelling. And of course, that's exactly what Jesus is, not in the world of fiction, but in the world of reality. Jesus died to reveal his self-giving love for you and for me. But we have to say there's more to the story of Jesus than just that, amazing as that is. In verses 27 and 28, Jesus reveals to us that he is going to die on Good Friday. Death on Good Friday is inevitable. But he's not going to the cross only out of self-giving love for us, important as that is, but also out of a desire to bring glory to his heavenly Father. Listen again to verses 27 and 28. Jesus says this, Now my soul is troubled, what shall I, what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, it was for this very reason, says Jesus. It was for this very reason that I came to this hour. Father, glorify your name, he says. Glorify your name. You get the sense here, don't you, that the cross actually was a daunting prospect for Jesus. And of course, it should be and it would have been, even for the Son of God. The cross that Jesus died on was absolutely brutal. And as Jesus looked ahead to Good Friday, he understood that he was going to be paying a tremendous cost for our sins. Jesus knew that the journey to Good Friday was not going to be easy. I wonder what you would have done if you were in the shoes of Jesus in this moment. I'll tell you what I would have done. I'd have bailed out. I'd have said, no, thank you, not for me. It's not worth it. But Jesus doesn't. And it's left me with this lingering question, well, what was it that kept Jesus going to the cross despite the cost of dying on that cross? And Jesus tells us in verse 28, the reason is to glorify my heavenly Father. Father, glorify your name, he says. Father, would you through my death put your glory on display? As we look at the cross of Jesus, we see the glory of God. You see, throughout his life, and especially in his death, as we think about that this week, and we will get to the resurrection. I know that's coming on Sunday, but today we're focused towards Friday. Jesus is totally committed to the glory of God. Jesus will do whatever it takes for his Father to be glorified. And then what happens next in our scripture reading is absolutely amazing. Having first stated his commitment to glorify God, for only the third time in Jesus' ministry, God speaks audibly. I wonder if you've ever heard the audible voice of God. I'm not sure I have. Don't worry if you haven't, because Jesus only heard the audible voice of God three or four times in his life. But in this moment, God speaks audibly. Verse 29, then a, a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it, my name and your name, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that was there heard it and said that it had thundered. Others said that an angel had spoken to him. God the Father audibly affirms exactly what Jesus says, that the cross will be a powerful demonstration of the glory of God. 
I wonder where you see the glory of God. I'm seeing it right now as I look out. The marvel of human life displays the glory of our God. I see it when I climb up a mountain and I look at the views from the mountaintops. I see it when I look at the stars on a, a really clear night. But the cross shows us more of God's glory than any, any star or any mountain or any human life could ever reveal. And in a sense, that's the irony of the cross, isn't it? It's the irony of Good Friday. This instrument that was a tool for disgrace and for torture, a tool by which Jesus would be beaten and mocked and stripped and humiliated, this tool which was for execution, which was designed to humiliate the one who hung upon it, the irony is that the cross becomes a means by which God is glorified. But it's also the means by which Satan is firmly put in his place. If you want to see the glory of God, you want to discover what Jesus has done for you, would you look at the God who is willing to die on a cross for you? He's willing to die on a cross for you. And in dying on that cross, the enemy Satan is defeated and your sin is dealt with. You know, I'm very aware as we journey towards Easter, it's very easy isn't it, to go from Palm Sunday to race through Good Friday in the longing that we get to Easter Sunday so that we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And that's really important that we do that. But I wonder if this year, this week, I can encourage you to reflect upon the cross. Because when you look at the cross, you see what Jesus has done for you. When you look at the cross, you discover just how much the God of the universe loves you personally and individually. When you look at the cross, you see the glory of our God displayed. When you look at the cross, it shouts back at you. Your sin is dealt with and Satan is defeated. The Apostle Paul said exactly that in Colossians. Listen to these words. It says this, When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your, your flesh, even whilst you were still a sinner, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all of our sins, having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. He, God, has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and the authority, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross and glorifying God. You see what the cross achieves and why the cross is so important in the story of Easter. We're here today because of what Jesus has accomplished at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, he brought us life, not just mediocre, boring life, but he brought us life in all of its fullness, if only we will follow Jesus. When Jesus died on the cross, he brought glory in some topsy-turvy, ironic kind of a way to his Father in heaven. When Jesus died on the cross, he revealed not only what is wrong with this world, but also he dealt with it and found the solution. Look at the crucified Christ and you discover the mind-blowing reality of how much God loves you. And as I draw to a close, I just wonder if you can make that personal to you for just a moment. Would you look at the cross of Christ? Look at the cross that's just up there. Imagine the outstretched arms of our Saviour and he simply says to you, I've come to this cross because I love you and because I want to glorify my Father and because I'm dealing with Satan and with your sin. Lord, this morning we want to say to you so much that we just thank you. That we love what you've done for us. That Lord, in the week that lays ahead of us, as we journey ourselves from Palm Sunday through Monday, Thursday, through Good Friday to Easter Sunday, 
Lord, as we get to Good Friday, would we not just skip over it, but Lord, help us understand how much you love us, how much you delight in us, how much sacrifice is in the very DNA of our God. Jesus goes on beyond the verses that I read and said, look, a response is needed. This is what he says, walk by the light, believe in the light, then the light will be within you and shining through your lives. You will be the children of light. Do you know what that says to me? It reminds me that we have a God who wants us to live knowing who he is. I wonder if you know him. Jesus says the right response is to pursue the light, to believe in the light, to understand the light and allow the light to shine through you. That's him. Jesus is calling today. He's making an invitation. Come and walk in the light because my Father's arms, they are open wide for you. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.